You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Chris McPherson, and welcome to episode 41 of the Eagles Insider Podcast. I certainly wish that things were happier here around the Novacare Complex following the Eagles' 27-16 loss at the hands of the Carolina Panthers, and they go into the bye week with a 3-4 and four record. I am joined, as always, by the illustrious Fran Duffy. It's another, uh, another week here. Another day in paradise. I wouldn't go that far, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to recap the loss to the Panthers on Sunday Night Football. Uh, we're going to look ahead to where the Eagles have improved the most and what they needed to do to get better in the second half of the season. Uh, our interview this week is best-selling author and motivational speaker John Gordon. Looking very much forward to that conversation. Uh, what's going to be the message that Chip Kelly has to give to the team to get them rallied for the second half of the year? We're going to have a little game time, Alex. Buy or sell for the bye week. And then, of course, your questions in our final segment, mailing it in. Uh, but first, I want to make sure to please rate the show and leave your comments and suggestions, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, let us know what feedback you have and what you want to hear on the podcast down the line. And also, make sure to follow us on our many social media channels at Eagles, at Eagles Insider, at Eagles Shows, and spread the word about our new channels and podcasts. So uh, let's just delve right into the analysis. Our first segment is three and out. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Three, three. Now it's time for three and out. All right, for those of you who are new to the podcast, three and out, Fran, Alex, and I will each take a different segment of the game and break it down. You know, maybe we'll take a big picture look at the team. That's what I think Fran is going to do this week. Uh, I'm going to look at Something that's sparked a little bit of controversy here, and that's the run game. Look, Ryan Matthews was phenomenal. He provided the one big play on offense for the Eagles, uh, scoring the touchdown up the middle, a career-long 63-yard run. Uh, and we found out on Monday that he actually had a groin injury that he was battling, and that's why that we didn't see him that much down the stretch, and that's why DeMarco Murray was getting a bulk of the carries. Now, to me, I feel like Murray was running the ball well, I thought that going against this tough Carolina defense, it was going to be uh, it's going to be a challenge, especially going up the middle. You know, you look at the interior of the defense with KK Short and Starla Tulele in there. You look at the linebackers, Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley. So certainly, I thought that it may have been a game for Matthews to get to the edges, but the Eagles trying to get the inside zone game going with Demarco Murray were having success and doing a good job. I think the problem was that they just got too far behind and. When it came to the passing game and converting third downs, they were just not able to stay on the field. Um, but I definitely think that this is one area where the team has improved, especially the last couple of weeks. Uh, our good friend Tommy Lawler, Fandemonium columnist, threw out this stat over the weekend. This is before the game when people were looking at DeMarco Murray and his early season struggles. You look at last year with LaShawn McCoy, who was the league's rushing champ going into that campaign. Started a year with 192 yards rushing on his first 69 carries and scored only one touchdown. Now, he had a great second half of the season, finished third in the league in rushing. Murray, you know, pretty similar numbers, 242 yards rushing on his first 70 carries and three touchdowns. So actually a little bit better across the board, but you get the same idea. There was a little bit of gelling that had to go on, go on with the offensive line. Murray was battling an injury. I think the Eagles have figured out how to utilize them. So you look at the snap distribution or the carry distribution through the first seven games of the season, and of the 175 rushes among the members of the three-headed monster, Matthews, Murray, and Sproles, Murray has 50% of the carries, Matthews has 32%, and Sproles has the remaining, you know, it comes out to about 18% or so, which, you know, before the season we all wondered who was going to get the distribution of the workload, how is that going to be sorted out? And I think this is what the Eagles had in mind. You brought in Murray to be the workhorse guy. You brought in Matthews to provide a spark. And there's going to be games where I think, you know, Matthews might be the guy more than Murray and vice versa, but you need these guys to last you throughout the course of the season. And as we've seen, Murray's been injured. Matthews is now dealing with a groin injury. So that's why you need to really spread the wealth around to keep these guys fresh for the stretch run. Like you said, I think if you if you mapped it out at the beginning of the year, 
how many carries each back would get. And you told me that DeMarco Murray is going to get 50% and Matthews is going to get a third of the carries and then Sproles will fill in and do the rest. I would say that's exactly what this running game should be. That's the way that it should work. Um, and I, I think some fans are, you know, giving Deuce Staley, the running backs coach, a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of heat for his job of rolling the guys in there. But the numbers, they all add up, and, and that's the way that this running game should look. Obviously, if if Matthews is the hot hand like he was last night and he didn't have the injury that he suffered, um, then you probably would lean more towards him. We've seen that a little bit in the past, but um, I think on paper, this is the way that uh, the the carry distribution would work out. I, you obviously just wish that um, DeMarco Murray would maybe be a little bit more productive. But other than that, um, I think this is what the Eagles had in mind when they brought all these when they brought these three guys in. The thing to keep in mind as well is when when you run a hurry up offense, you're not worried. Especially if you're the play caller, if you're Chip Kelly, you're not worried about who's in the game because you're worried about the next play. So if once once the backs in the game. Now you're just, if you as long as you know you've got your full allotment of plays that you can call you're you're calling you're not worried about oh well you know Ryan Matthews is averaging uh, seven yards a carry uh, from the shotgun so I should probably call a run here you know you're you're not you're trying to you know move the ball move the chains uh, and get points on the scoreboard so you know I think a lot of people were worried oh well he only had six carries look he was in he was in the game for what was what was the final number of snaps was it uh, was it twenty snaps I, I believe he's got his reps. Uh, it just happened that a lot of them came in the past game this past week. Uh, I th- I would foresee that he's going to continue to see a fair amount of carries, and you know whether or not they work him in more after the bye week, after they do some self scouting. Because remember, this is the week where they're going to look at everything that they do from top to bottom, from t- whether it's schematic tendencies, uh, how they line up formationally, how how often do they you know run left, run right, do they pass out of it? You know, what do they do tendency wise from under center, shotgun with the back offset to the left or right. Every little thing you can imagine is going to get critiqued and analyzed, and they're going to try and find as many of the tendencies that they have and then try and play off of those tendencies uh, in these first couple weeks. So uh, I would imagine that we'll see a couple changes here after the bye. What's interesting is I feel like they've already had to go through a self-scouting process because as you've shown in the eagle eye in the sky column, how they've had to change some of the directions of the, of the runs because every time they would line up a certain way, they were going in, in a certain direction and teams were starting to key in on that and be able to tee off and stop this rushing attack. So I feel like they've already kind of had to go through that process. And hopefully now that we got the great news that Jason Peters should be back next week from the lower back spasms. That was a very scary situation. Seventy uh, one's one of my favorite players on the team. So it's great that he's healthy, but you get the line gel together, you get everyone healthy and hopefully they'll be able to get things rolling after the bye. Yeah. I think that the big thing is, when you look at uh, you know the the different changes that they've had to make over the course of the season, a lot of that was by necessity, just of how the offensive line played over the first couple of weeks. Where no matter what the Eagles did, whether it was under center, shotgun, everyone was calling for the pistol, and everyone was calling you know, all kinds of fans and media are asking all these different questions about what can they do differently. It didn't matter what they did. And they, you know, you could look at that game the last time they played Dallas. Anything that the Eagles did did not work. Everything that they did, they struggled. Uh, and that's what happens when you're not executing the fundamentals. So uh, they've come a long way since then. I think the offensive line has grown leaps and bounds since that point in the season. So we'll see. Obviously, J- having Jason Peters in the lineup is going to be a huge boost for them moving forward. But, uh, you know, excited to see what this team will look like uh, in week eight and beyond. All right. So that's my look at the rushing attack. Alex. You want to look at the defensive side of the football for three and out? I do. Um, I think uh, it was a little bit surprising to see the rushing numbers that the Panthers put up last night. 33 rushing attempts. And you knew going into the game the Panthers were going to try to run the ball. That's what they do. That's what they do with Cam Newton and Jonathan Stewart uh, and Tolbert. That's what they do. That's you know what their offense is centered around. 204 rushing yards uh, is uncharacteristic for this Eagles defense. And Chip talked about today how 80 of those yards came on two plays with uh, a big run on one of the first plays of the game and then the Ted Ginn reverse. Um, so while the defense has, you know, obviously a lot of areas to clean up, I think the bright spot was that they forced three more turnovers. And they now have 19 in seven games. I believe that leads the league. And they've said, uh, whether it's Bill Davis or whoever it is, they've said that their goal is to get three every game. They want to force three turnovers. And right now they're at 2.7 per game. So they're right on pace with where they want to be. Um, and I think the secondary 
did a really nice job. Obviously, the Panthers don't have the best passing attack. They're wide receivers uh, without Benjamin, who's, who's out for the year. You know, it's not a lot to write home about there. But uh, Nolan Carroll with a huge play, um, which, by the way, I'm not sure what a catch is anymore in the NFL and what's not because when that play first happened, I thought maybe it's a fumble. Was he down? But I guess he didn't control it all the way to the ground, a la Des Bryant. Uh, and give Kyle the credit for, you know, getting a hand in there and stripping the ball away. But um, Kyle comes up with a pick. Malcolm Jenkins with a beautiful diving interception. Um, he had a play like that last year too. I think it was against Washington, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's great to see Jenkins really elevating his play this year. And then Byron Maxwell comes up with his first interception of the season um, at a time where people are kind of getting on him for a tackle attempt that he had earlier in the game against Mike Tolbert down at the goal line. Um, and he comes back with a huge pick right when the Eagles are, you know, in full comeback mode. And it looks like momentum starting to come their way. So, you know, the rushing the rushing yards that they allowed, uh, you want to see them improve on that. And they will because uh, with the way the defensive line is played and the way the linebackers are really coming together, no matter who it is out there at inside linebacker, um, it's nice to see that whole group kind of come together. So the rushing the rushing yards, uh, the rushing defense will get better. Um, but it's really good to see that, you know, they're consistently forcing these two or three turnovers a game. I think that's a really good sign as we get into after the bye, the second half of the season. That two game stretch where third down defense you know, was an issue. You look at that the New Orleans game and the Washington game, uh, a win and a loss there where third down, especially third and long, there were a few conversions that they allowed. But other than that, those two games, this defense has been pretty good on third down. You know, they've been good in the red zone. Uh, lots of three. I know that there was a number, I believe it was leading up to this past game. I haven't seen the updated stat, but that they were leading in, th- in terms of three and outs per drive. Uh, just a, I think just a really, you know, sound unit from front to back you know the the technique on the back end has just improved leaps and bounds from what it was a year ago uh the defensive line has continued to be dominant the linebackers you've seen great play and we haven't even had kiko alonso on the field for a majority of the season so i think that when you look at this defense moving forward you have to be really really excited about where where that unit is because the arrow is only going to be pointing up and that's really what i wanted to talk about is just really how far this team has come you know from week one until now You've got that defense that is playing at a high level, has been playing that way for a majority of the season. Now you look at the offensive side of the ball. DeMarco Murray said it last week that it was time to match that output. Obviously, it didn't happen on Sunday night. But, you know, if the again, it goes back. A lot of the issues that they had this week were some of the similar issues that we talked about early in the season where, you know, it was one one guy on the one play and then another guy here, another guy there. That's one little mistake each and every t- each and every play. Sometimes it might be a penalty. It could be a you know a blown protection. It could be a drop. It could be an inaccurate pass. Uh, you know, just little mistakes here and there. That if you fix it, now you're moving the chains and you're keeping the offense on schedule and you're putting more points on the board as opposed to punting and you know and giving the other team the opportunity to put more points on. So, you know, I think that if you get more consistent. Look, drops absolutely have been an issue, and it's just one of those things where I, I, I don't. I, what do you? How do you? How do you move past it other than just make sure you're catching the ball? I mean, you know, the, you guys are out there for practice. You guys see the work that those receivers put in on the jugs machine uh, day in and day out. How many times have we seen Jordan Matthews? Uh, you know, catching passes from all different kinds of angles, from uh, from jugs machines and from quarterbacks. Uh, you know, after practice has ended. The guy works as hard as anybody we've had here in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of just executing within the game. And you know, Sam Bradford over the fir- you know first couple of weeks, I think a lot of people were worried. Over the last three or four games, I think he's he's settled in a bit. Uh, does not look as as skittish in the pocket, and I think that he's really started to come along. And I think there's reason to be uh, excited about what he can bring to the table. Now you have to you have to convert on some of these plays. You know there there have been uh, some some by fault by him. You know so that there's been I think four interceptions in the red zone over the over the last few games. Uh, you know and that's 28 points coming off the board for this offense. But then you'd factor in how many drops in the in the end zone did we have yesterday. Uh, you know, I think that that's going to be, you know, you convert on some of those red zone opportunities, turn some of those, you know, field goals in, into touchdowns. Now you're, you're seeing this offense, you know, take on a whole new light. I think the run game is going to continue to improve like it has. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't write this team off yet. I know a lot of people are very discouraged now. It's tough losing going into the bye. I know we were used to it for, for a while there in the, uh, the early 2000s. But uh, look, it's a lot of season left. No, no question about it. 
Um, guys going to Bradford, I think guys just have to step up and make plays. I'll look at the Giants-Cowboys game from Sunday. Did you see the one catch by Terrence Williams, the tiptoe along the sideline? Devin Street with the amazing tiptoe grab in the end zone. Phenomenal catch. Ruben Randall snatching the ball one-handed out of the air to help the quarterbacks. Outside of Zach Ertz, you really didn't see that at all on Sunday. You know, Josh Huff could have had that one in the back of the end zone. Um you could have had the one for Jordan Matthews in the back of the end zone if he gets his second foot down. It's just, and it's if one guy makes a play, that's another first down. Who knows what happens from there? Things could start to kind of snowball exactly. a little bit. It seems like those drops. That's the the killer part about it too. Is that they're all, they seem they're always in the red zone or they're always on third down. They're always in the most inopportune moments, and you know those are the ones that really kill you. Yeah, with the jugs thing, I wonder should the receivers be running? As a catch, it's they're always stationary. Yeah, and I mean, this is the time we start throwing things at the yeah, wall, and you have yeah, no right. clue what what to make of it. But they're never running as they go to catch the pass. Just thought. To me, it just feels like in the passing game that the timing is just still off a little bit, and that's what's really leading to these drops. Like some of the throws are just a little bit behind guys, where they can still make the play, they can reach back, um, you know, and make the grab, but. Um, the timing and you know it's it's on everybody too I think it's on the receivers and how they're running the routes it's on Bradford um, and it's on the coaching staff to you know figure it out and put it all together but I feel like the timing as all these you know we've talked about it all season long with all the new faces coming in and how they're going to gel together and all of that um, but I think the timing is just a hair off with a lot of these throws, um, I think about the the Huff one uh, in the back of the end zone, where that throw is just a little bit behind him, but it's probably a catch that he should have made. Um, Jordan Matthews has had a few where it's the same thing, where he's running the crossing routes that he likes to run, and you know it's just a little bit behind him. It tips off his hands, and the next thing you know, it's an interception. So I think the timing is getting there. It's getting better, um, but it's still something that needs to be ironed out here. Certainly. So maybe it's timing. Maybe a little bit of it is mental. So that's why I want to bring in my special guest on this week's The Interview, best-selling author and motivational speaker John Gordon, to talk about the mental aspect of playing professional sports. And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for, The Interview. Our special guest this week on the Eagles Insider Podcast, a best-selling author and motivational speaker. And I brought him on this week because... He has not just worked with Fortune 500 companies, but NFL teams as well. And in fact, his latest project is a book called You Win in the Locker Room First, and he wrote it with former Falcons head coach Mike Smith, my special guest this week, John Gordon. You can read more about him at johngordon.com or learn more about the book at winintheLockerroom.com and follow him on Twitter at johngordon11. John, thank you very much for taking time to join us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Oh, it's my honor. Thank you. So, John, we were talking off screen a few moments ago before we started the interview, and I had asked, you know, knowing how Chip Kelly likes to delve into things that are outside the box, try to maximize human potential uh, from a psychological standpoint. And I was like, have you ever worked with the Eagles in any regard? And in fact, you spoke to the team during training camp this year. Can you talk about how you got connected with the Eagles and what was your message to the team? Well, I believe that they had read some of my books and then asked me to come in and speak. And so I, of course, have been following the Eagles for a while. It's funny, I was never a fan of the Eagles before Chip took over. But once Chip took over, I really started to like the team. I liked the culture. I liked what he was doing, uh, the players he brought in. And to get that call it was really cool because I had already been rooting for the team the last couple of years. And speaking to the team, when I left, I was like, this is a great culture. These are great people. He has great character on the team. I was, I was really impressed with the team. What is it about Chip Kelly that you've liked from afar before getting a chance to meet him for the first time? Well, I believe everything is energy, you know, so even though I never met him, there's something about his energy that I just liked, and then uh, in person, I liked him even more. I didn't know I was going to like him as much as I did, but I was, I was really impressed. I have worked with a lot of NFL teams, NBA teams, uh, Major League Baseball teams, so you get a sense of, of leadership and culture. So, for instance, like a doctor can, can sense patterns of, of illness. I can sense patterns of challenges in culture. I could also sense when teams are on the right track. Now, you might be saying, well, John, they're not winning right now. The outcome aren't good. Well, you know, I wrote a book called You Win in the Locker Room first with Mike Smith, and people say, well, how could you write a book about winning in the locker room with a guy who just got fired from the NFL <laughs> from his job for only winning 10 games the last two seasons? But 
Coach Smith won more games his first five years than any other coach in the NFL except Bill Belichick. And so what we talk about in that book is what went right the first five years, what went wrong the last two, and what Coach will tell you in that book and what we write about is he stopped focusing on the culture. He focused too much on the outcome after the fifth season because they almost made it to the Super Bowl one play away. And after that, it became all about outcome. They became obsessed with it. They stopped focusing on the process. And so uh, with this team, I see something where, you know what, it can't be about the outcome. It can't be about that we have this great talent. It has to be about, hey, we're going to continue to focus on the process, continue to focus on our execution. We know what we're doing, and we just have to continue to execute better. So, John, what was your specific message to the players when you spoke to the team? Because obviously you know that Chip has instilled a great culture here in Philadelphia. So what was it that you wanted to get across to the players? Well, in that talk, I shared the four stages of greatness that every great team and individual go through as they strive for greatness. And interestingly enough, in the third stage is the growth stage, and that is where you are pruned during the growth stage, where you face the pruning, where you face events that look like you failed, like you look like you've been destroyed. But those events are not meant to destroy you because, again, the pruned bush actually grows more fully. So those events are actually meant to help you grow more fully, to become stronger and better through the process. If you have the right perspective, if you take on those challenges, if you don't give up. So it's funny what they're facing now. That's what we talked about in the talk. So, John, when you have so many new faces coming to a team in pivotal roles, how long does it take? to bring those personalities together? Because you look at this Eagles locker room and obviously we know here in Philadelphia all the change that's taken place this offseason from a personnel standpoint. How long does it take to you know, combine all those personalities to get everyone on the same page, to make everyone feel welcome, to feel comfortable that they can you know, fulfill their potential, so to speak? Well, there's no exact formula. I mean, it's not an exact science. For some teams, it happens quicker. Other teams, it takes a little bit longer. I think the fact that, you know, Sam is, you know, in a new offense, hasn't played in a couple of years from injuries. You know, he's just starting to find his groove. I believe he's going to find his groove. So with the team, for instance, it just takes it just takes time for them to gel and connect. I worked with Clemson football for the last four years, right? So Clemson's doing really well this year and was just talking to the coaches the other day and we're like, you know, never had a team more connected who played better together. Maybe other teams have had more talent, but this year Clemson is playing really well together and you're seeing that gel in the field and you're seeing it through execution and ultimately performance. So it just takes time and it depends again on synergy, on execution, on guys in key roles, injuries. I mean, there's so many factors, so I, I can't really say that it's going to be a certain amount of time. John, you touched on a key word there, execution, and your book, The Energy Bus, really gets into that, and that's something that Chip Kelly has mentioned time after time after time again throughout the course of the season, that it's not talent with this team, it's just a lack of execution. From a mental standpoint, how do you help gear a team toward the direction where they can execute and carry over what they're doing in training, what they're doing in practice to live game situations. Well, here's a key factor. Most people think that, that confidence breeds clarity, but actually clarity breeds confidence. Execution is a result of clarity of mind. And so what I believe is there's just a little bit of clutter in some of the players' minds, which is affecting their ability to execute. The more clarity they have, a higher level of, of energy, of positive energy, of, of belief, of trust, of faith, of know-how, and understanding the offense and what they're here to do. So as you have this clarity, that will breed the confidence and lead to execution. So when you're not executing, what happens is it it's often then creates more mental clutter because you start searching for all the answers. You start to try to look outside for the answers, when really the answers are in inside each one of us and each member of the team. We don't create the world from the outside in. Circumstances cannot define you. Always remember that you create the world from inside out. So your state of mind going into a game and during the game is essential for each player to perform and to execute. So what I would say is the best thing you can do right now is, is you stay the course. You continue to stay positive. You continue to have belief. You continue to have optimism. Because getting down and looking outside France is not going to help. But having this clarity of mind and reducing the clutter and just executing, that's going to lead to great success. It makes a lot of sense. And because my follow-up question was going to be exactly how do they get to that point, but I think you explained it there nicely. My next question for you, John, is do you believe in the sense that things can avalanche and snowball. Or I go back to the game on Sunday night and the Eagles 
have had these issues with execution throughout the course of the season and especially with drops by the wide receivers and if one thing goes wrong it seems to continue to what's the word I'm looking for it's almost like it's contagious you know it spreads around the rest of the team and I look at the other sideline with Carolina a team that's undefeated to this point in the season and it seems like even if they make a mistake even if Cam Newton the quarterback throws three interceptions they find a way to win things always seem to have a positive result do you believe in that sense that things can have that kind of snowball effect very much so they can go either way and we see it all the time see there's a collective energy of a team there's a collective consciousness of a team I know that's sort of outside the realm of like you know the brain and sports science but there is a collective energy and what you see is when a team's on a roll and they're having momentum things just go their way or they bounce back from things pretty easy when a team is start to having challenges they could start spiraling downward if they start thinking too much. When are you at your best? When you're not thinking, when you're just playing, when you're just loving what you do, when you're going out there with passion and enthusiasm to just play the game you love and you execute, right? That's when you're at your best. I'm, I, was, I played Division One lacrosse at Cornell, so, so I know what it's like to be in the zone, right? Everyone who's ever been in the zone knows that they weren't thinking when they're in the zone. So what happens is when a team starts to think too much and they start saying, here we go again, or they expect an, another negative event to happen because one happened, they start to spiral downward. You saw this with the Ravens last night, right? When a team has a low level of energy, a low level of, of positive energy, a low level of consciousness, you can see where that team, nothing goes their way. I mean, last night they make a great play, gets called back. Even the refs make bad calls, which should have went the Ravens' way. It seems to just happen that way. And if you look at the Eagles' first few games, Many of, of those games were the difference of just two or three plays. I mean, that was the difference between a win and a loss. That's why you don't want to get too caught up in the outcome because you want to just focus on keeping the energy high, keep the clarity of mind, an overall high level of consciousness with the team to expect great things. And then what happens is you start to stay the course and then things self-correct and you turn things around. And we see that all the time too, right? We see that teams that go on eight-game winning streaks. So my belief, I really do believe, maybe I'm just a big optimist, but I really believe this team is going to turn it around. I believe after the bye, they're going to come back stronger and better. I believe they have the talent, and I believe this time off is going to really clear their minds, and they're going to come back and start doing some great things. That's, that's my belief. John, that makes a lot of sense because Chip Kelly's message to the team going into the bye was that this is a good team, it's just a few, and the word that he's kept using over and over is self-inflicted wounds. Those are the things that are holding this team back. So it makes sense what you say there. And I do think that the buy is coming from a mental standpoint and not just a physical standpoint at the best time for this team. John, my last question for you is, going back to your book here, you win in the locker room first. There are seven C's that you focus on that are the key to success to building the foundation of a championship team, and one of those is culture, something that Chip Kelly has preached and is instilled here in Philadelphia. Is there one that's more important than the other, or is there one that's the starting point for the rest here in your estimation? I would say they all matter. They're all important, of course, but culture drives everything, and then it's the connection. A connected team will beat teams that are not connected. So I often say that team beats talent when talent isn't a team. And so the more connected you are, the more committed you become. So this team has to stay connected through the process, connected through the challenges. And then as the season goes along, you'll see the teams that aren't very connected, that don't have great relationships, that don't have a lot of synergy. Those teams will just start to give up. Because you do win in the locker room, right? So first. So those teams will just actually start to, to, to lose their way and things will spiral downward. But a team that stays connected will beat a lot more teams that have, may have more talent, but that lose their connection. So I think connection is where the rubber meets the road. And I've talked to so many different college coaches recently with football and, and basketball, especially saying, John, I got to get my teams more connected. And when they do, we see the impact that has. John Gordon, best-selling author and motivational speaker. His newest book, You Win in the Locker Room First, is available now. His other best-selling books include The Energy Bus, definitely a must-read. And in fact, I'm going to be doing some reading of his while I'm away on vacation for the bio week. John, thank you very much for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. I greatly appreciate the insight. Uh, thanks so much. It was great to be with you. Get out your scorecards. It's game time. All right, guys, it's our favorite time of the podcast, at least my favorite time of the podcast. It is time for game time. And in honor of the bye week, today we will play buy or sell. Of course, that's B-Y-E for those scoring at home, because I know you are, because uh, Chris Barletto told you to take out your scorecards. Uh, so buy or sell. So 
first things first, and we kind of touched upon this uh, a little bit earlier uh, in today's show, but Ryan Matthews as the number one running back, I guess, if you if you want to put that label on it, Ryan Matthews as the number one running back on this Eagles team moving forward. Buy or sell that idea? I'm going to say sell, just because I feel like you know this offense is not built necessarily on having one foundation back. It's built on having a foundation running attack. So regardless of who is back there carrying the football, it's you still need the blocks to, to work out up front. We've talked about this in the past, you know, in years past with Darren Sproles and LaShawn McCoy, because there was a point, I believe last year, where LaShawn McCoy was averaging, you know, in the twos and, and uh, Darren Sproles was averaging, you know, four point some yards a carry. And everyone was wondering why Sproles wasn't getting more touches. It, you know, the, it just works out sometimes uh, in a weird way that these numbers kind of, you know, happen that way. But look, DeMarco Murray can, can run the football, especially the, some of the, the things that they've done over the last couple of weeks to get him going downhill sooner, uh, I think are going to work out in a big way moving forward. So uh, I'm not ready to just say, okay, give Ryan Matthews the ball uh, for you know 30 times a game and factor uh, DeMarco Murray out. I will sell as well. I made my case, I think, earlier in the podcast. Uh, I think it's almost like the old number one receiver debate. You know, is this guy a true number one wide receiver. I think it's sort of the same argument here. Both of these guys are Pro Bowl caliber backs. Both these guys, you know, extremely talented among the best at what they do in the entire league. That's why they brought both of them here to Philadelphia to share the workload. So, you know, as Chip Kelly has said, you know, he doesn't have to change the play calling. It's whoever's in the game, he can just roll with. So don't have to change the game plan uh, if one or the other is in the game. Up next, Zach Ertz, currently the second leading receiver on this team. He's got 166 yards in his last three games. Buy or sell a big second half from Zach Ertz. Obviously, injury kind of slowed him down a little bit earlier on. So buy or sell a big second half for Planet Ertz. I want to buy, but I need to see it. So I am selling at this point. You figure Aguilar is going to be coming back at some point. You know, Jordan Matthews has to get out of his funk. It's the, it's sort of like Ertz has had to step up his game because no one else from the receiving standpoint has been able to produce. So I think you're going to see more production from the receivers. Um, Brent Selleck is still a factor. Ertz has received more playing time and deservedly so. Um, but it was interesting when you told me earlier today, Alex, that uh, Sunday night's game, five catches for 60-some-odd yards. It was his best performance of the season. Yep. 63 yards. 63 yards to be exact. And, you know, going into the season, I know I was on the bandwagon of Ertz being, you know, like a Greg Olson-type playmaker where he was he would be, from like a fantasy standpoint, uh, one of the most prolific and productive tight ends in the entire league. So that hasn't come to fruition. Um could it still happen? Certainly, and I would love for it to, but I think what you're seeing is pretty much what you're going to see at this point. So maybe you'll see this kind of production on a more consistent basis, but I don't know if that would constitute as breaking out, so to speak, in the second half of the season. I think that it, I, and I would sell too, but I, I'm selling because more just in terms of the situation. I mean, uh, we know that for the most part, this is an 11 personnel team with one back and one tight end. They'll mix in 12 personnel, and obviously that's where Zach Ertz is going to come in. And they do have some single tight end sets where Ertz does play. But, uh, you know, I think that when you you look around, this is an offense that tries to spread the ball around. We know that as well. Uh, this isn't like Carolina where, you know, they, they want to have a, a premier threat and they just don't have one. So Greg Olson is almost the de facto number one guy there. I think that uh, in a vacuum, Zach Gertz is a matchup guy that you can put against linebackers. You can win against safeties. He's shown the ability in his career to beat corners in space. But when you get down to it in terms of volume, in terms of numbers, and that's why you know I've never been a big Zach Gertz fantasy football guy because uh, you know it's just the the consistency in terms of numbers aren't always there. He's always prone to have the matchup, you know, the game like he did last year against Washington in Week 16, where uh, he set the record for receptions in a game. But you just can't count on that week in, week out. That's not a knock on Ertz. It's more just the the nature of the offense. Buy or sell a 1,000-yard season for an Eagles receiver this year. Jordan Matthews has 398 yards right now. He'd be on pace for 909. Buy or sell a 1,000-yard season for an Eagles receiver. I still, I'm going to buy on this one. I was a big Jordan Matthews guy coming into the season. You know, he's obviously had his struggles. I think the buy is coming at a perfect time for him. We go back to last year. 
he went through a similar thing at the beginning in the preseason where he had the drops issues and he was able to work through those. Where he's playing at in the slot, the matchups he's getting, he's the volume is going to be there for him. So I think the opportunities to be a 1,000-yard receiver are going to be there for Matthews. It's going to be a matter of can he convert. So uh, certainly to me, it's, it's obvious that if there's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver, it's going to be Matthews. I'm going to buy on this one. I think he will. This is a tough one because, again, it gets back to the nature of the offense. Um, but I think I'm going to lean more towards buying as well just because, uh, you know, C-Mac has touched on all the big points. I think that, you know, obviously we know what he can be in this offense and what he can serve for the quarterback, uh, you know, regardless of who's been getting him the football. Jordan Matthews has always been consistently productive. And now, the, and even with the issues he's had with drops, the targets are still there. He's got the opportunity. It's not like they've gone away from him. The targets are still there for him. Uh, I still, I think that he's going to rebound and have still a very productive season. All right, let's uh, look down the road a little bit here. Buy or sell the Eagles-Giants Week 17 matchup as the NFC East championship game? Selling because the Eagles will have it wrapped up by then. I love it. I'll take that optimistic view. Um <sighs> No one is separating themselves from the pack. You know, it's there for the Eagles. I mean, that's what we've said. That's why I was hoping that they would uh, have found a way to win against Carolina, get themselves a four and three. You know, the Cowboys at two and four, you would have really put some distance there. Washington's still lurking around, but uh, uh, I'll I'll, I'll take the optimistic view and, uh, you know, maybe we'll see a, a late season run. Where they where everything starts to click, and uh, and I'll sell on that one. Buy and only because really you know if you take the scenarios into account of okay where do you want the Eagles to who do you want the Eagles to be fighting with at the at the end of this uh, regular season you want them to be fighting with the New York Giants because we already have a game in hand uh, with the win last Monday night whereas we had the loss back uh, in Week Two against the Dallas Cowboys so you want the Eagles to be head to head with the Giants right now. And hope that you, you know, because then all you need is to get into that week 17 and be even. Uh, and at that point, obviously, look, they're, they're one game apart right now. You want Dallas to keep losing because they've got, they've got the initial tiebreaker right now. That could change, uh, you know, a week from Sunday. But uh, you know, right now, I would say I'm going to buy. I think uh, the Eagles are going to have it by that point. And one of the biggest reasons is the Giants' schedule. Three of their next four games are on the road, and it's not the toughest opponents, but at the Saints at the Buccaneers, at Washington. Then they have the Patriots they still have to play, the Jets, Dolphins, Panthers, Vikings, Eagles. That's a tough stretch for the Giants down the road. So uh, I think the Eagles schedule. The first couple games, you didn't really have me scared. But there was, there was some well, good Sa- opponents in the back Saints end on the there, road for sure. can be sure, a little tough. Point. They've and come then, alive uh, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, but really those those last five games, Jets, Dolphins, Panthers, Vikings, Eagles, could be pretty tough for the Giants. Uh, but how about another team in the NFC East? Uh, Washington, a.k.a. the Fighting Kirk Cousins. And I believe we have a sound drop for this. Kirk Cousins are 3-4. and four. You like that? You like that? I listened to this on repeat. Like Easy 10 minutes on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Who is Kirk Cousins talking to? I don't know. The question is, do you like that? So at 3-4, and four, Kirk Cousins leads them to another win. Buy or sell Washington as a team that could stick around and fight for the NFC East? It's like your little brother who nags at you to take him everywhere and play with them and you know, wants to hang out with the big boys but just doesn't belong. Uh, I'm still selling on this team. I, I, I'm just not going to be a believer. I mean, great comeback effort. Was it against Tampa Bay? So be it. But, you know, they had a similar comeback against the Eagles. Um, Jordan Reed, you know, the ultimate tease. He had two touchdowns, including the game winner. The talent has always been there. It's just, can he stay healthy? That's always been the big question mark with him. Uh, Kerrigan undergoing surgery on his hand, but apparently he may not miss time because their buy is this week as well. Um, I, th- I just think there's some serious questions on the back end of the defense. You look at the offense – it's just can Kirk Cousins be a consistent enough signal caller to guide the offense, and uh, I think that's going to be eventually their downfall. So uh, when all is said and done, the type of team that's going to be a pain in the butt to face, but I don't think they're going to factor into the mix. So uh, 
I will sell. I don't like that right there. Fran? <laughs> Fran Fran's been holding in a cough for a long time. Yeah, I'm with C Mac. I'm gonna sell as well. Uh I'm still in proven mode with the with Washington. You know, I think that we've talked about the issues they have on the offensive side of the ball. We know that they've got a talented defensive front. They've had issues in the secondary. I'm still very much in in prove it mode right now with with Washington. And last but certainly not least, the Miami Dolphins, the fighting Dan Campbells. 2-0 since he took over. They're back to 500. I think they were up 35 to nothing over Houston at one point yesterday. Buy or sell Miami as, a, again, a team that fired their head coach four games into the season. Buy or sell Miami as a possible contender coming out of the AFC. You want to go first? Wow. On division. We're talking the conference. Are they a playoff team? Buy or sell Miami as a playoff team? Tough division, obviously. Yeah, tough division. Uh, I I buy him as a contender for the playoffs, no question. I mean, it's still very early. Uh, they, you know, they not made not only did they make changes to the offensive side of the ball, but they made changes to the defense as well. They they uh, let go of, of defense coordinator Kevin Coyle, uh, and that unit has seen immediate results. The offense has, seen, has seemed to you know come to life here with Lamar Miller and you know a little bit more running from under center from the offense and more you know heavy packages. Uh, Dan Campbell focusing more on the power run game. I, I'm I, I'm buying into it right now. I would I would definitely buy them as a legit contender uh, right now in the AFC. Well, here's the thing: if you look at the conference, uh, you look at the AFC West. Denver's running away with it. The South. I mean, the Colts are the division leaders. I mean, that's a that's a bad division right now. Um, so I mean, that's a the wild card spots are going to be available for them now. They play the Patriots on Thursday night. They could really make a statement against them, but um, Tannehill's upped his game four touchdowns in the win over Houston. And, you know, as Fran said, Lamar Miller's picked up his game, and you know Dan Campbell's calling card of that defense, and uh, you know Cam Wake has come to life in the last couple couple weeks here. So I think he, I think Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network tweeted out his stat line of, on the season like seven tackles and six sacks, something absurd like that. So. Um, I'm buying. I'm buying. I think this was a team that had talent coming into the season, uh, just hadn't played up to that level, and finally they're doing so. I guess the better question might be, buy or sell three playoff teams coming out of the AFC East? If you think about buy. the Patriots, buy, buy. the Jets, Because the, the Jets, I mean, or the Bills. Well, the Bill, I think the Bills are falling apart. I think the Bills are done. But uh, the Jets, I think, prove that, look, they may, maybe they're not going to beat – the Patriots in Foxborough, but you know they're right there with them. And in fact, they they had the lead in the fourth quarter. They had the Patriots on a third and long, and Brady threw a phenomenal pass down the middle to Julian Edelman. Was it was it Edelman or Amendola? Amendola had a huge game for them. But I thought it was Edelman who had the this key third down conversion, um, and it was a turning point because that was a spot where it looked like that you know the Jets might have been able to put them on the ropes and maybe knock them down for good, and they weren't able to do so. So they're probably just a slight bit off, but uh, I love what Todd Bowles has done with that team. And, uh, you know, the Eagles, you know, the, with the way they've played in the first half of the season, I think should feel feel pretty fortunate that they they came out of that game with a win. You know no one from the AFC South is challenging. Uh, you look at the AFC North, Cleveland is is a mess right now. I think you know. You look at Baltimore. You know Pittsburgh. We'll see what how long it takes. How much longer it takes Big Ben That's to get back into there. the lineup. Uh, and then out west, I mean, San Diego is in trouble. Uh, Kansas City is two and five right now, right? So I mean, the door's open there for three teams from the uh, from the AFC East. Which of course, you know, the Eagles had to draw this year when they're in an up year. But uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good year for that division. All right, guys. Good stuff as always. Uh, buy or sell. Um, not bad for a bye week game, if I should say so myself. Let's move on to mailing it in. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. All right, it's time for Mailing It In. Uh, we're going to get to some of your questions on Twitter. And uh, with it being the bye week, I have to make sure to get out the prizes from last week, and we'll maybe give out some prizes for the questions this week. So uh, some very, very good ones. And the first one we'll go to comes from at Daniel Leitner2 on Twitter. Wants to know, why don't we see more of Darren Sproles in the slots? Uh, 
I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, if they, I think that the Eagles' offense right now uh, is in a, an area where they want to try and stay on the field as long as possible. They had a lot of issues earlier in the season of trying to generate, as you know, and that was an, a, a topic that Chip Kelly talked about numerous times. Not necessarily about time of possession, but it's about play count. And too often in the beginning of the season, you were in the the 60s and the you know the low 70s, where they want to be you know in the mid 80s. And so when you aren't on the field for as many plays, you're you have less opportunities to try new things and do different things. From that respect, we've seen Darren Sproles in the slot. You know, and it's happened a couple of times. They've taken him in the slot and then moved him into the backfield and done running plays. They've run him out of the slot, uh, you know, and done vertical routes with them. I mean, they've done it. It's just maybe it's just not as apparent because. We haven't had as many opportunities. One thing that you see that, or Chip Kelly explained this, that he's still getting double coverage when he's out there in the pass routes. And, you know, should that open things up? I mean, it means you have single coverage across the rest of the board, you know, because you have the one defender, you know, not accounting for the quarterback. That's a big difference when you're facing Carolina is you have to have that defender account for the quarterback. So maybe if you're Carolina and somebody's double covering Greg Olson, let's say, Okay, maybe then a guy is truly free now if you're devoting someone to the QB. But, um, you know, yes, is it making opportunities easier for other people? Certainly, but someone's got to win those one-on-one battles. And then at the same time, I think it's, well, who are you going to take off the field? Are you taking Jordan Matthews out of the slot? Are you taking Zach Ertz out of the slot? Um, Jordan Matthews, we know about his drops, but he's been the leading receiver on the year. Ertz has shown a lot of improvement over the last three games, as we talked about earlier. Um and then, you know, I don't like – this might just be me personally, but I don't like when the Eagles go empty and they don't put a running back in the backfield. I, so if Sproles is in the game, I'd rather see him in the backfield. I think it just gives you more things you can do, whether it's play action or whatever it is. Um, but I like, having, I like having Sproles in the backfield, whether it's for pass protection or if you can get him out on a wheel route um, and he can get some, you know, some uh, more momentum going as he goes out past a linebacker, whatever the case may be. Um, but I think – you know, we've seen a mix of it. It's just, um, you know, trying to get everybody out there and trying to get everybody the ball. Last two questions here, kind of on a similar tone. First one comes from Billy Bumper at W Bumper on Twitter. Wants to know, what is it something with Sam Bradford and the way he throws the ball that makes it difficult for receivers to catch it? I think I kind of hit on it earlier with um, – how the timing is just a little bit off. I think that's what it is. So whether it's, you know, not putting the right amount of touch on it or if he's trying to zip it in there a little bit too fast. Um, but I think the timing is just a little bit off. Bradford throws a really nice pass. We saw it earlier this season with, you know, some of the touch passes that he had against Green Bay. Um, and we've seen him kind of, you know, throw those rockets in there as well. So uh, I think he throws the ball really, really well. Um, but to me, I think it's just more of a, a timing issue. Yeah, I don't know. I it's it's tough because you 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 want to point those drops and you want to say this is the reason why, and I just don't know that we can say this is the reason why. Uh, I think if they knew what the reason was that they would try and fix it, uh, as like we said earlier. I mean, it would be easy if it was one player uh, that was dropping all these passes, but it literally is one player after another player after another player after another player you go up and down the lineup i'm pretty sure every eligible receiver probably dropped a pass last night uh you know against carolina so you know i i think that that is the area where uh you know you're looking and fans want to have an explanation for it i don't know that it's the that it's the timing or if he's throwing it too fast i it's it's tough to say the receivers were asked that question in the locker room after the game and they said no it's just on us catching the ball but you know certainly you have to wonder I mean it's it's to that point where you're asking what could it possibly be that's making it happen and uh, we kind of touched on this one already but I'll throw it out there again at NINJ5 on Twitter wants to know what's the deal with Jordan Matthews in particular and why he's unable to catch the ball and again we talked about his work on the jugs machine you know how hard he works at it it's to me it's there's got to be a mental aspect of it at some point but he worked through it early last season was able to rebound I don't know if maybe the the change in role you know going to your second year and you're looked at as being the guy you know of the receivers might have changed things I don't know but he it's just not it's just not happening for him right now 
it's really hard to pinpoint one thing, but I think the mental side of it um, surely has something to do with it. Um, but you, you talked about it last year, how he had the problems early in the year, early in the preseason, and he worked his way through it, and he was uh, a really reliable target for the Eagles in the second half of the season. Um, so, you know, I, I, wish, I wish I had an answer. I wish anybody had an answer of, you know, why he's having trouble holding on to the ball, why he's having trouble holding on to the ball, but – um, I think he'll get through it. I think he's got the he's got the right attitude and he's got that mental toughness that I think you need um, to hey, say, you know, hey, you know what? Next play, um, you know, put that behind you. Go out and make a play on the next play. And uh, I think he's got the right attitude for it. And, you know, maybe the bye week is a really good thing for him where he can just get away, clear his head. Really the whole offense, not just Jordan Matthews. The whole team can just get away clear their heads, and then come back, get out on the practice fields next Tuesday, and get ready to beat Dallas. I think, C-Mac, you said it best earlier where you said that this the, the bye week was coming at the perfect time for Jordan Matthews. Uh, and it's a good opportunity for all those guys to get out of the building, get away for a few days, uh, just kind of recharge the batteries, and then come back, and now you're in the, the one-week-at-a-time mode and, and moving on and trying to win as many games here down the stretch as you can. Uh, I think that's what you're hanging your hat on right now. If you're an Eagles fan, is this you know the, the hope that this is a second half team that can come out, uh, you know, get things lined up. The, you know, after some self scouting and some some soul searching here uh, in the week off, and and then you know finish strong here in 2015. Do you guys need a fire lit under you? I as, don't. As Malcolm Personally. Jenkins said. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. I could use one. Peaches could use one. We weren't going to go down that road, but uh, I think that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Uh, So we're going to be out for the bye week, and uh, we'll be back with a brand new episode to uh, preview the matchup, a Sunday night showdown with the Dallas Cowboys. Special thanks to uh, Brian Thomas and Chris Stevens, the men who make it happen behind the scenes. And uh, for Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. Remember to uh, subscribe to wherever you consume your podcast and to rate and leave comments. Let us know what you want to hear on the podcast. Down the line, you have been listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week.